This is the Coaching and Mentoring Podcast. My name's Dave T and I'm the chair of the Wales Coaching Centre at the University of South Wales. I work with organisations to develop their coaching and mentoring expertise. Our guest today is Linda Aspie. Linda is an executive and team coach, facilitator, speaker, supervisor, psychotherapist and member of the Time to Think Global Faculty. In this episode, we discuss the differences between listening to respond and listening to ignite and the liberating effect for both the client and the coach. We delve into what the human mind does for itself when the listener focuses on being more and doing less. Welcome, Linda. I wonder if you could start, please, by telling us about your your, your background, your journey and how you first encountered coaching. Thank you, Dave, and thank you for the invitation to be here. Uh, well, my background is a bit convoluted, like many people listening, possibly. We came to coaching through many other routes. I started off life as a nurse, actually, initially an animal nurse, and then trained as a nurse and a paediatric nurse. And then I fell into recruitment consultancy, and from that fell into career management and HR consultancy. And early on in that journey, around 1991, I trained as a counsellor and psychotherapist. Mm-hmm. And I sort of encountered coaching by accident in the early 90s. I'd also trained in stress and trauma management, and I was working in organisations, doing all sorts of HR projects as an employee counsellor and trauma management consultant. And I was asked to to work with somebody to help him to deal with stress, but we weren't allowed to call it that. (laughs) The organisation said uh, he didn't want counselling. And when I met him, he said, I really don't want counselling. That's not the sort of thing my family does at all, but I'm really on the edge. So we worked together really very productively and successfully for some time using the skills that I'd learned along the way, mostly around stress management, a lot of listening, um, a lot of helping him to make sense of how he'd got to where he'd got to. And I didn't really know that that was coaching. And a little while later, coaching began to become a thing in the UK. And when I read about it, and same thing for many of others of my peer group, particularly those who are trained therapists working in corporate settings, we realised that's what we've been doing for quite a while. Uh, coaching then began to really take off, particularly in the, U- in the UK. It had been around for a long time in the States. Um, and as it began to take off, it began to take new forms. Life coaching came about. And more slowly, it became adopted in organisations. And it's still obviously on a trajectory of getting more widely accepted. So we used to go in as a counsellor, we used to have to go into an organisation through the back door and not sign in. (laughs) And as a coach, we were allowed to go into the front door and sign in. It was very, very grand indeed. Oh, the honour of it. Thank you Absolutely. very much for that. So, <laughs> um, I have had the, uh, the the privilege of um, taking part in a, a listening workshop with you, and I'm having to be on my very best behaviour with my <laughs> listening for our conversation today. <laughs> I, I'd be delighted if you could explain for our listeners the difference between listening to respond and listening to ignite. Certainly, there's a very big difference, and yet it sounds so subtle. Uh, It is such a subtle distinction verbally. In most coaching relationships, there is an implicit and sometimes explicit assumption that the coach will ask questions to raise awareness, offer challenge, 
and enhance client responsibility. Those are often seen as the three tasks of coaching. But whenever we hear a question, we all are, as humans, driven to respond in some way. That's why we use questions so much in coaching, because they're so helpful. However, the coach also hears the question. And even if it's our only, only our own question, we're driven to respond to it. So whilst the client is answering the question, we're answering it ourselves as well. And we're often thinking about what the client might say. We're thinking about what does this mean? We're looking at making some kind of assessment. We're maybe agreeing with what they're saying. Um, we're often thinking about what to ask in response to what they're saying now. So when we're listening to respond, that's just what we're doing. We're listening so that we can then ask something because that's the implicit or explicit assumption and agreement. However, but when the coach listens to Ignite, what we're doing is listening to Ignite without any form of interruption, including in our own head, in our own mind. We're listening to what the person is saying and we're fascinated in what they're saying and where they will go next for themselves rather than us needing to be the one that prompts that. So when we listen to Ignite, we know that that has a catalytic effect. And along with all the other 10 components of a thinking environment, particularly with attention at the core, we know that when someone is made a promise that I won't interrupt you at all, even if you go quiet, that they will think better for themselves than if they are kind of expecting us to interrupt them at any time, because that's what society does and it's what coaching does. So coaches have to learn how to quell that very natural response to, 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 to be asking questions. We all do that. Most coaches do that pretty well most of the time, but they quell verbalizing it. They tend not to be so good at quelling what's going actually on in their head that they don't verbalize. So when you listen to Ignite, you quell even thinking about what you're going to say next. And you're listening and fascinated in what the client will say next and where they'll go because you don't know where they're going to go and they don't either until they say it. So very powerful and I passionately believe so central to effective coaching practice and craft. Mm. And yet I'm aware and I'm sure I'm as guilty of this as any other coach, mm. um, but certainly with other coaches I work with, be, be they new to the profession or even experienced practitioners, that they're often very consciously aware of the battle they're having with quelling that natural response. Um, yes. Are there any practical tips, techniques, habits that you could encourage any of our listeners to give a try to to help them quell whether it's that external expression or even that internal thought process whilst they're listening to their clients? Yes, yes, absolutely. Um, I think, first of all, it does start with contracting. Um, if if mm -hmm. people don't contract to say, look, I'm not going to interrupt you, um, then it can feel a bit odd. It can, it can even feel a bit odd when you have contracted because it's not what society normally does um, and it's not what people expect when they come to coaching. But if a coach says, look, I genuinely, so the mindset really is that I genuinely believe that you will think better if I don't interrupt you. And so being really clear what that means and looks like, because even when you've said you're not going to interrupt you, it's very hard not to say something when someone goes quiet. In the past, I've even found myself observing how quiet someone's gone. So I've interrupted them thinking by saying, oh, I've noticed you've gone quiet. 
Um, so we, we often make interpretations. So I think it's really contracting. What are we here to do? Uh, whose thinking really matters? And my job is to help you to think really well for yourself and as yourself. And the best way I know to do that is not to interrupt you. And that would include even when you go quiet, because it's likely you're still very busy thinking. And I don't want to interrupt that either. So that they come into then a session knowing that they're going to be listened to very differently. Um, if they're expecting more of a to and fro conversation, they can feel that that would be very odd. So if you set up the expectation that it's not going to be so to and fro. Um, but of course, if at any time you want uh, my input, please just ask. And you know, if you're not comfortable at any time, please just say and we'll have a conversation. So the practices and tips really are all around how we how we behave um, and looking at the 10 components of the thinking environment. These are great pillars, really, for us to, to work with. Mm -hmm. So it starts really with attention, how we give attention, how we really attend to what someone's saying, knowing that our attention is in itself an act of creation. We're helping someone to create something that they wouldn't have created without our attention. And so as a coach, when we can, if, we're, if we've got eye contact, great, keeping that constant so that when the person uh, looks at us, they know that we're still there. Um, we know that, they, that, that we've not been distracted. We're not going to do anything else. They really have our attention. And we believe that level of attention provides psychological safety and it sort of quiets the amygdala. Of course, people can look anywhere they need to look um, when they're thinking. They don't need to stare at the coach all the time, but the key is how the coach behaves. So giving that constant attention with our eyes and with our whole self. But being aware that our own attention as a coach may wander, um, a bit like mindfulness, really. You know, if your attention wanders when you're trying hard to, to put things out of your mind, you just bring it back gradually, just mm -hmm. naturally yeah. let it come back and don't beat yourself up for thinking about the shopping list or what you're having for dinner. Um, just bringing that attention back gently and essentially conveying with every single part of your being that you know and deeply believe that the client is inherently resourceful when it comes to their own life. Mm. And our codes of conduct talk about um, treating people as inherent as resourceful. And yet we often don't behave in the way that says they're resourceful because we think we should be the supplier of the great questions and the supplier of the aha moments. But if we truly believe that the client will do that with our sustained generative attention, then that takes the pressure off us, which then also means that we can be easeful. And being easeful really means being really relaxed about where the client's going to go, about what they're talking about, what they're saying, and what they might say next. And thus, letting go of any need to control where the client's thinking is going. Because the moment we do that, we tell them that they're not the resourceful one. And that then involves being interested in and fascinated in what they're saying and what, what they might just say next. Because we really don't know what they're going to say next, and neither do they, until we've helped, helped them with that moment when they can create it. And another tip is to only speak when invited. Now, that can feel a bit odd for people to say, keep saying to their coach, could you ask me a question, please? But what we found is that the more people practice with the thinking environment, they actually really, really love being the one to say to the coach, could you ask me a question? Because I'm ready for one. Mm 
Because often we spend, as coaches, we spend our time working out when should we intervene? Should I let them first and finish now? Should I should I point out the error of their ways? Have they seen this blind spot? Should I, you know, what's my role as a coach? But being really, really interested and fascinated and only speaking when they say, actually, I've run out of steam. Could you ask me a question? And then we say, usually we'll say, what more do you think or feel or want to say? And finally, I would just add is on, on, the, on the note of interruption, we interrupt, everybody interrupts all the time. Uh, there's lots of research around how often people interrupt. And the coaching profession is no exception to that. And the therapy profession neither. So we have a, a bit of a golden rule for ourselves in, in time to think in that we only interrupt someone when we're sure that what we're about to say is going to be better than what they were about to think. And I'll never know what they're about to think if I interrupt them, so I don't. <laughs> Unless their house is burning down around them and they can't see the flames. Uh, but most of the time, it is quite astonishing what people will do when we trust the process and they begin to trust it too. And they begin to create the most amazing thinking because of our attention. And, and finally, I did say that was finally, but I just had one more thing. Go on is that knowing that as a coach, as a listener, when you're with someone who's thinking and talking, as their coach, you matter profoundly, and yet you don't matter at all. Because you become so present that you become invisible to them and let them just carry on on their own way. So it matters deeply that you're there giving that attention and giving all the ease and, and all the other components of the thinking environment, really, you know, your input doesn't matter at all in a way because your input is you, but you become invisible. So it's a paradox. That, 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 that's brilliant. I, I, I love the notion of being easeful. Mm. Reminds me a lot of writer Julie Starr urging coaches to, uh, her phrase, relax your grip. Mm. <laughs> yes. Uh, and, and the uh, you know not just saying that we believe you as our client are is resourceful, but actually acting in a way to show that we genuinely respect that notion, and mm. uh, it is their 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 thought, their thinking that does really matter and is central to you know why we are there in service to them. Thank you very very much, Linda. There's a lot in there around the the managing expectations, the contracting at the start, and also mm -hmm. modelling and being exemplars of this behaviour um, mm -hmm. that I think would help the client in the relationship who perhaps might be initially sceptical or who you know, comes from a very sort of busy business environment where this quality of listening is not commonplace. Mm -hmm. Is there anything else perhaps from your, your own practice that you do to help bring the client to a space where they are at ease with this deeper more profound approach to listening hundreds of hundreds of times um when people have said i really don't know um that i could you know use all this time when i, I work in an hour and a half sessions usually and when i first meet clients and i explain you know i ask them you know what they want to achieve from coaching uh, broadly. And then I'll say, here's a way I think I can help you. And I'll, I'll explain how it might work and say, well, what do you think to that? Would you, like to, would you like to work that way? And they say, I don't know. I mean, uh, 
I've come to you because you know you're an expert. <laughs> you're, you, you know you know this sector, and they start to woo and flatter you, and you think, oh well, of course I do. Yes, oh yes, I've got lots of experience to share. Um, and so they're initially skeptical about how they can do this for themselves. Um, and then as they ease into it, um, it it just as they hear themselves, they become actually bolder in their thinking. And they begin to realize, whoa, I can do this. Um, and I'd like to, sh- to share one example, actually, of something where very early on, if I may. Yes, please. Um, very early on in my, in my career, um, when I literally, I think it was a week or two after my first course with Nancy Klein, um, I went to see a client who was normally uh, very organized and um, efficient in how she would prepare for her coaching sessions. Um, and the time that I arrived, she was... This was over over 15 years ago. She was. Um, she said, I've nearly cancelled you, Linda, because I've had such a rushed day and a rushed couple of days. We've had a visit from the head office in the States and I've been burning the midnight oil preparing reports um, and just going crazy, really. And I've had no time to prepare for our session because she would normally come along with a list of what she wanted to accomplish. Um, and I explained this way of being to her and I said, would well, you want to give this a try? It doesn't matter that you don't know what you're going to bring today. Um, and she said, oh, that just sounds, sounds like hell, actually, <laughs> me talking all the time. <laughs> and I thought, it's completely up to you. you know. And she said, well, I might as well give it a go. You're here now. Um, so I asked her, what would you like to think about and what are your thoughts? And she thought for about 25 minutes continuously without break. And then she said, well, I'm stuck now. So I said, and what more do you think or feel or want to say? And she said, mm, well, that's really interesting. What more? And she took a deep breath and she had another 20 minute dive. <laughs> <laughs> and at the end of the session, she said, I can't believe what I've accomplished. I can't believe how good that's been and uh, how much I've accomplished more than any other session I could ever imagine. Um, so it was a great example of uh, how somebody just thought there's no way it's going to work. And we worked like that then for the rest of the time we worked together over the next year. That's, that's, that's wonderful. And she said every week, she say, I'm, I'm listening better. I'm listening better to my team and my family. That's the joy, isn't it? That it, it, it translates out of the coaching space into their yeah. wider way of being, be it at work, at life, whatever role, whatever hat they're wearing. So, yes. yeah, brilliant, brilliant. At the time of recording, we're in the, the build-up to our exciting 2021 coaching conference, and we mm-hmm. have the honour of you delivering a keynote for us. So thank you very, very much for that, Linda. And it's about how we as coaches can best serve the climate change agenda. So please do tell us some more about this. Well, thank you. And thank you. I think you've you've been... Uh, as as ever, displayed bravery really in bringing the subject to a conference, uh, because it's not something that people generally uh, want to welcome in, um, because they think that it's going to be all doom and gloom. Well, the, the fact is the situation is serious. Uh, you know what mm. we've experienced in COVID is is um, possibly you know a, a very good reminder of how close we are and need to be to nature, and how our world is changing around us. And I think that this is going to, as it is already, COVID, of course, is already impacting how coaches uh, are working and the kind of things we're working with that we didn't ever expect to work with. Some of the things that coaches are now dealing with would have been really for the realm of therapists um, and psychologists. But every day now, coaches are working with all kinds of different things and having conversations they never thought they would have. 
And I think the same will increasingly apply to coaching, uh, to climate change, because it does affect all corners of our planet and it does affect the disadvantaged. And it, it, it is an issue of social injustice as much as it is a, as a threat to everyone's existence. So I think coaches will become more, need to become more and more aware of the world in which we live and the role that coaching can play to help people through difficult times. And it starts with ourselves. If we're not uh, attuned to the environment and our planet and our feelings about nature and being part of nature ourselves, then um, we're, we're really quite distant from it. So I think it starts with how we think about it ourselves and how we deal with some of our feelings around what's happening to our world. Um, so welcoming in difficult feelings and um, being grateful for what we have and practicing active hope, really, um, that we can make the world a better place or stop the worst from happening. And it's not false hope. It's just having hope about uh, a different kind of future, perhaps, than the one we've envisaged. And it's having an awareness of the wider system that um, we all live in and work in. Um, so it's dealing with our own feelings, but dealing with our, our interactions with nature and the rest of the planet. And then how these things will impact on our practice. I've had I've worked with people who've lost their business in the last few years as a result of climate change. And that wouldn't have been something I was ever trained for. I have supervisees that come and talk about clients who have um, had families lose their homes in wildfires, for example, and how they're dealing with trauma. Um, so I think we can skill, be, become more skilled in um, being of use and being of service. And I don't think, for me, it does not mean that coaching has to be, you have to be an activist in your coaching sessions. But I think we can take an active interest in the environment. Coaching should not be, in my view, about persuading somebody to think what you think. But it does provide an opportunity for people's lenses to widen and to think about the wider system in which we all operate. So I don't think that climate coaching is about converting the unconverted, but I think it's about being aware of the wider system and helping people also to be aware of the impacts of everything we do in our lives um, and the choices we make and how we handle some of the adversaries, uh, uh, adverse situations that will no doubt come our way if they're not already in our way, wrong our way. I think it's very important that we do bring this to the conference. I was going to say it's timely, but, you know, arguably it's long overdue. And hearing mm -hmm. you talk about your own clients, your supervisees' clients, and mm -hmm. this is, you know, becoming a, a lived reality for, for more and more people. So, yes, mm -hmm. I, I very much look forward to bringing this to the, our community of practitioners and having that debate at the event and beyond because it is so important. So mm -hmm. thank you again, Linda, for that. And thank you for your time today. It's been really, really interesting. Um, if I may, um, mm -hmm. we do have one last question that we like to ask our guests. Mm -hmm. So as you, you were saying about, okay, we might as coaches be allowed to go in the front door of buildings, but it is still very much an emerging and growing profession and exciting because of that. Um, mm -hmm. And I'm just wondering if there's one new or emerging idea from coaching that particularly is exciting you at the moment. Yes, I think it's, I think it's our growing, wider, widening awareness of the system. Coaching in the past was often about being... Um, particularly perhaps when coaching individuals it's there's been an emphasis on being the best version of yourself I've never really warmed to that expression it conveys too many other things and it's, it's obviously not intended to but for, for me it doesn't convey that we're part of something really wonderful 
And I feel so I think the getting awareness of the wider system that we all live in, um, and particularly with the earth as a stakeholder in all of our lives. Um, we often don't think about the earth or the planet as being a stakeholder. We think about people. But I think if we can think about the systems that we live in, the systems that we um, operate our lives in, um, the systems we collude with and the systems that we need to challenge, I think that coaching is going to become much more of a stakeholder itself in all of those conversations. Thank you very much, Linda. It's been an absolute pleasure to have you on the podcast. Thank you, Dave. It's lovely to, to hear you again. I, I look forward to seeing you again um, when, when we meet at conference in March. And thank you for inviting me here today. Absolute pleasure. This podcast is brought to you by the Wales Coaching Centre based at the University of South Wales. We are a centre of excellence for coaching and mentoring here to help support the development and growth of coaches and mentors through training, qualifications, conferences, CPD events, and our community of practice. To find out more, simply search USW Coaching and Mentoring.